I've actually had authors that I have passed on because they're too spiritual. They cannot make that bridge from 5D to 3D. And that's a real important thing. Um, When I hear somebody say, when I say, what are you going to do to market your book? And they say, oh, well, it should be able to be word of mouth. Uh. I go, you know what? You're going to have to come and get your feet back on this planet to be successful. Welcome to the Hybrid Pub Scout Podcast with me, Emily Einalander. And me, Corinne Kalaski. Hello. We're mapping the frontier between traditional and indie publishing. And uh, today we are going to have an interview with Deborah Jacobs of Dancing Word Group. How's it going, Corinne? It's going pretty well, Emily. I can't I, complain. I feel like it's been forever since we've talked about uh, book things on the been. microphone. Yes, it's true. It really has been a while. So mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. nice to be back. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yep. It sure is. Oh, I have one thing that I would like to start doing, um, sure. faithful listeners. Mm-hmm. If you have been um, a contributor to us at one time or another, either through interview or blog, or just if you're active um, participating with us, we would like to know of your publishing triumphs and uh, new releases and all that good stuff. So um, we can put it in our newsletter and feature you. I would love to kind of, you know, the way that publishers, um, Publishers Lunch does at the bottom with all of the job listing stuff. So if you have anything new and exciting going on, please email me at emily at hybridpubscout.com and we'll put you in the newsletter so we can celebrate your achievements. Yeah, great <laughs> idea. So a little bit more podcast business before we move on to the interview. We got another review by a wonderful person. <laughs> Hell yeah. Thank you, wonderful person. Thank you. (laughs) We really appreciate it. Yeah. So, um, so Corinne, are you going to, are you going to read it? I will read it when I can find it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I should be thinking about like, who's your favorite celebrity impression? My favorite celebrity impression? Uh, probably Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh yeah. Well, that's a lie. I'm pretty good at the part where Robin Williams like sticks his um, face in the cake in the fridge and then is like, hello, like I'm good at that. But then anything beyond that, I don't, I can't really do that. So it's sort of like, you know, I don't know. Carol Channing. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Okay. I can do that. Okay. I can do that one. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Huge range of topics. (laughs) erudite and memorable (laughs) this has become one of my weekly lessons i've learned a huge amount about various aspects of the book publishing industry well chosen guests and witty host who take conversations in new directions their mission to map the frontier between traditional and indie publishing. 
is exactly what we need in this fast-changing and distributed industry. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Okay. That was really impressive. I honestly, I was trying to think of, do you watch RuPaul's Drag Race? Uh, Sometimes. Okay. So they have this one um, like segment they call the snatch game, which is like the match game, obviously. And uh, so everybody does a different celebrity impression. And I just remember the best one ever was this drag queen who did Carol Channing. So that was for some reason, the first thing that popped into my Oh, that's a good impression. Because oh, yeah. Like it's yeah, a yeah. funny enough voice that yeah. it's weird yeah. to you. I thought that was great. So we'll, we'll have to make another list. Yeah. 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 We should actually, yeah. Tweet it at us at hybrid pub scouts. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's let's not wait any longer let's get down to the interview yeah all right uh so nice to have you on Deborah. it's great to be here all right corinne will you please read Deborah's bio for us oh i sure will all right here we go Deborah has been an influential businesswoman and speaker she founded and served as editor-in-chief of mystic pop magazine for nine years until its sale in 2008 <clears throat> Deborah has been a successful literary agent owner of Dancing Word Group Agency since 2008, representing both mainstream and higher consciousness authors. As a representative of excellence, Deborah has an extensive networking model, which aids her in representing her authors. She has established contacts with both large and small publishing houses. Her drive to represent the interests of her clients comes from a deep-seated base of ethics, concern, experience, and understanding. Deborah offers services as an agent coach to both traditionally published and self-published authors, as well as her years of experience as a publicist. Welcome, Deborah. That was a long bio. That's all right. I mean, right. It, it's the one. I mean, you've done a lot. You should be saying that much. Yeah. At 63, I would have hoped to have accomplished that much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like I need to get a move on to catch up. <laughs> all right. Well, we, we, um, but first of all, and I think you acknowledged this when we were talking about it before, like we're not going to be able to get to everything we want to talk about today yeah. um, because there's just so many things in your, your storied career that, um, <laughs> that are just not going to be able to That's be covered. True. However, um, let's just start with where you are right now. Um, how long have you been an agent and uh, what brought you to that point? Well, I, I'm actually going into my 11th year as an agent. Um, What brought me to this point? Well, you know, it was kind of interesting because I I owned, as you said, Mystic Pop magazine for nine years. And during that time, I got to know authors and publishing houses. And I kept hearing all these terrible things about that were going on, not with publishers or the authors, but with their agents. And so my mother had gotten cancer and I knew I had to sell the magazine because I couldn't do it all and take care of her. So when I sold it, I was talking to an author and I said, I don't know what to do now. And she goes, you should be an agent. Mm -hmm. And I went, God, but agents are so blue. You know, they're like (laughs) car salesmen with the flashing pies and all that. She says, but if you do you, you'll do well. And I was like, Okay, there is an idea. I had gotten so connected with, especially in the new age metaphysical world, all the publishers and, and several of the authors. So I made an announcement that day, hey, I'm going to be an agent. And to my surprise, quite a few authors, including like Lynn Andrews, 
contacted me immediately and said, oh my gosh, my agent died. I would love to have you as my agent. Oh, wow. So I had like eight clients the end of the first day with absolutely oh. no experience and not knowing anything. That's amazing. That is incredible. <laughs> but you know, it's, and I do these things, I dive into these different careers with no knowledge and figure, okay, I need to go learn from somebody. Mm-hmm. And so I did get in contact with somebody who will remain nameless. And I did work in conjunction with them to supposedly learn everything I needed to know about being an agent. Mm-hmm. And in six months, I learned everything I would never, ever do as an agent. Oh, man. Ain't that the way? Yeah. <laughs> Quite the education. And uh, then established, you know, uh, dancing word group. And uh, uh, by the way, the reason for that is I think of books as words dancing on pages. Oh, I, I see that right away. <laughs> I wanted some corny logo, but my daughter talked me out of it. Oh, like clip art, just spinning. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how I became an agent. Isn't it amazing when like someone, how groundbreaking it is when someone reminds you to be yourself? Yeah. Oh, I know. And it's like, a lot of times I find that this happens with people that I work with is, you don't need to restructure yourself into some picture someone else has of you. Just be you. Yep, absolutely. Well, we're glad you did that. Um, (laughs) So so can you tell us some of the, uh, you mentioned Lynn Andrews, but can you mention some of the other books you've worked on and authors you've worked with? Oh, Lordy, it's uh, it's been (laughs) quite the interesting trip. Uh, I am all over the place. I was told, one thing you never tell a Torian female is, you, you can't do this. And the Torian pulls out their bowl and go, you watch me. So <laughs> oh, a tor- you're a Taurus. Yeah. Oh. Okay. <laughs> the light goes on. Yeah. <laughs> That's how we think of everything around here. <laughs> well, and you know, I, I just sort of, I was told when, when you become an agent, okay, new age metaphysics is your thing. Stay within those lines. And I'm like, well, that's going to get boring. So I have, and I've been told I've sold quite a few books, made a lot of book deals. Uh, I think I'm at like number 69 or 70. Nice. Uh, And it's all over the map. I mean, I represent people like Lynn Andrews and Maureen St. Germain and um, uh, Meg Blackburn, Losey, a a lot of new age metaphysical, you know, people. Mm -hmm. I don't just represent famous. I, I do what I call famous and infamous. <laughs> and the infamous <laughs> are the ones that just haven't gotten going yet. So <laughs> I do a lot of first-time authors. Uh, but I'm all over the map. I believe in just representing good work. Mm-hmm. And so I've represented fiction, nonfiction, medical, alternative medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, I even did a romance novel. I mean, I'm sort of just everywhere. Yeah. Uh, if I like it and I think it's that good, I don't believe an agent has to stay in our lane. Mm-hmm. It just takes more work. You got to go out and find the right people to pitch it to. Right. Right. Well, um, I'm going to actually skip ahead on this question list based on what you were saying. And um, you mentioned that you worked with self-published and um, traditionally published authors. And I was wondering about how you've, how you've done that. Well, uh, 
couple of years ago, I started seeing this, well, really about four years ago when the bottom sort of fell out in the publishing world. Mm-hmm. I saw this instant thing of, you know, self-publishing and people really, for lack of better terminology, getting ripped off right. or, or throwing something out there and thinking somebody was going to do something to help them in the self-publishing world. Uh, because they bought a package and it was supposed to include this, this, and this. And I believe that everything in life that function well does it by ethics. And seeing so much unethical stuff going on, I started offering coaching uh, through my website. I offer coaching one-on-one with people to teach, especially self-published people, Mm -hmm. (coughs) what they need to do in preparation which companies to, you know, get estimates from, which to stay away from, Mm -hmm. um, and what they're really going to have to put in to, to make it successful. Right. And so I do that for self-publishing and then traditional publishing is kind of, well, you've known me for a while. It's kind of all over the map. I mean, I work with mom and pop publishers to the big top 10, Um, and, uh, you know, it, and it really doesn't necessarily matter, (coughs) excuse me, if somebody's with one of the big top 10 versus a small or what I call second or third level publisher, Mm -hmm. because they may get more exposure and get more help from a a second tier or third tier publisher than get buried with one of the big guys. Right. Right. Won't get as much marketing attention and whatnot. I mean, I do think it's very, it's like you're, you know, a self-published author's guardian angel. And I think that's really, it's just really nice to see that like someone jumping in and doing that, because I do think that's a world that like, I feel like a lot of people get into it because they're just so frustrated with traditional publishing, you know? And so sometimes I can see that just being like, they're so, I don't want to say desperate, but they just want to get their work out there. And so they get, you know, they're just like, well, I'll do whatever I have to do. And so of course it's easy to get ripped off. So it's just nice to see that there are people like you who are like preventing them from being taken advantage of by like charlatans. So just, just thank you. Just thank you, honestly. Cause I think that's a really great thing to be doing. So. Thank you. I, I am extremely reasonable priced mm-hmm. on my coaching. Um, Again, because I stand in ethics, you know, and I feel like in one session, somebody can get basically all of the needs that they're going to have. So it's not like they need to do anything ongoing with me. Right. That makes me crazy when people are like, here's a taste. And if you want the rest of the meal. Right. um, I know there are a lot of companies out there that that do coaching for Mm -hmm. self-publishing, but you have to spend like thousands of dollars for this package. And my whole concept of doing the coaching I'm doing with self-published is for them to save money and Mm -hmm. not get ripped off. And there are really with, you know, the way Amazon's come in with its self-publishing with KDP, their new self-publishing model traditional publishers are going to have to wake up and get on board because there aren't the benefits to traditional publishers that there used to be. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, when I first started as an agent, uh, you couldn't get your books into a bookstore if you were self-published. You couldn't be on the New York Times list, list if you were self-published. All that's changed. Mm-hmm. 
right? You, know, you couldn't even get galley copies before your book was published if you were self-published. That's not true anymore. KDP now offers that. So people right. can do all the pre-PR. Right. Couldn't do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I think it is a viable option. Uh, and there's been some really famous, famous, uh, like one mystery writer who's chosen to go self-published mm-hmm. because of the difference in the royalties. Uh, James Patterson? Yeah. yeah. He, he, he had run out on his contract uh, with his publisher mm-hmm. and decided to do his next book self-published and made a million dollars in like the first three hours. That's right. Oh, my God. That guy's like a factory. Yeah, <laughs> he really is. Name, remember, that's James Patterson. That's right, James right. For everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a viable alternative now. And I think, you know, if people do what they need to do, they can be just as successful. So how do you, you probably get a lot of people contacting you for help or for representation. How do you decide who to work for? Um. <laughs> Okay, well, that's sort of an interesting question because that takes me into like my other line of work. Um, I've actually been a practicing intuitive life coach for 48 years. Uh, I was a psychic on Shirley MacLaine's website for many years. Oh my God, that's so amazing. And I used to keep that hidden, you know, from my agenting as a separate thing I didn't talk to people about. And then I decided if I'm going to be me, I need to be me altogether. Yes. So when I read a manuscript, I read the manuscript and then I do an intuitive read on it. And it's not just the manuscript or whether or not I get the feeling the manuscript will be successful. Mm -hmm. I get a read on the author. Mm -hmm. Is the author really walking their talk? Is the author going to be good to work with? Because to me, my, my, clients are my friends and you know they're long forever hopefully relationships and when I first started that wasn't necessarily the case I had a few prima donnas and I decided it wasn't worth it so now I do a psychic read on on them if I get the feeling and I so far knock wood I've been right (laughs) if I get a read I not only can get a feeling for if I want to represent it, but I also can get a read with who, what company is going to be the best to handle it. And you find that works a lot of the time. Yeah. And some of the publishers are actually starting to get used to my woo woo side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I, when I, and I, I'm not one of those agents that does what they call um, free emailing where they just email a hundred different places. Right. Yeah. And hope, you know, they play numbers. I don't do that. I think that's such a waste of everybody's time. Mm-hmm. So I call people ahead of time. If they're interested, then I'll submit it to them. But if I get a hit that this is going to be the right company, as you know, because you and I have done this before, I'm like, yeah. I will jam it down the publisher's throat. <laughs> no, I can see this done. I can see, I can look and see title changes. I can see covers. And so, yeah, I, I merged my gift into my, my work, my daily work. That probably has something uh, to do with how you became interested in mind, body, spirit, or like, where did, where did your spiritual side kind of begin to come together with your career side? 
Okay, so now everybody's going to go, okay, she's really weird. Oh, uh, this on our show there. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, when I was six years old, I had mumps and I was very, very, very sick. And uh, what I thought at the time was my grandfather, who was a doctor, showed up at the end of my bed telling me how, what was going on with me. And then suddenly wings popped out of this man and this bright white light. And I was like, okay, I was six years old. What did I know? I woke up the next morning. I was completely healed. Wow. And it wasn't until now I still had conversations with this. I knew it was an angel, mm-hmm. but I had conversations with this angel until I was about 12. Uh, but I, my parents always said it was my invisible friend. I never knew who it was until I was about 15 and one of my girlfriends in high school's mother was a shaman and, and a psychic reader and all this. And so we went to her, her house for after school. I walk in the door and she looks at me and she goes, what is Archangel Michael doing with you? Ooh. And I look yeah. up and I'm like, oh my gosh, she <sighs> could see him, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. I just never told people about it in our conversations because I didn't want to be that freak. And, uh, but she saw him and she explained to me who he was. And from that point on, I knew it was Archangel Michael and I've heard his voice and seen him since I was six. So I kind of got thrown into new age metaphysics. Mm-hmm. Michael's the perfect angel for a Taurus. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's really funny because I've, over the years, I've met so many people that talk to Michael and there are a lot of people that talk to Michael. I'm not that special, but they, everybody sees them the way you intuit them. And because I'm a very shoot from the hip kind of girl, uh, mm-hmm. Michael is very straightforward and very sarcastic. And I even have to filter him at times. Other people I've talked to, it's like, oh, no, he's so sweet and kind and loving. It's like, not my Michael. <laughs> but he has literally saved my cookies many, many, many times in my life and warning me and giving me the, the visions that I needed to be successful. And when I first said, okay, maybe I'll be an agent, he went, oh, yeah, let's be an agent. <laughs> I knew it was a good path to go down. Oh, good. That's a, yeah. that's some good divine guidance to have. <laughs> it is. It was funny when about, about six years ago, seven years ago, I guess now I was asked to be somebody's publicist and uh, I was like, publicist. Okay. That's like, sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> and, and Michael was like, Oh, you can do this. You, mm-hmm. you can do this. And so I put on that hat and became a full-time publicist for Lynn Andrews mm-hmm. and booking her radio shows and everything. Yeah. I think anybody can morph if they listen to their own guidance, you can morph in almost anything. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Well, that's actually a perfect segue into our next question about um, do you sort of have a preference between publicity and agenting or do you enjoy them both equally or one more than the other? Well, monetarily, yeah, publicity, you make more money. You make constant money. Uh-huh. Um, the agenting, 
people who say they're a rich agent, I, I always shake my head and go, how'd you do that? <laughs> uh, it's not, it's not a really good financial basis. Mm-hmm. I think for me, agenting is for the work. I love to see people fulfill their dreams. Mm-hmm. I love to, especially with first time authors. I right. love the, that first call when they get that book in their hands for the first time and mm-hmm. they can feel it and touch it. And I know I helped create that path. Right. So it's probably more fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Publicity is definitely much more financially. Okay. Uh, benefit. Mm-hmm. Uh, publicity is incredibly time consuming. Mm-hmm. So I only do it in short things. I'll do like a three month book release for some. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I prefer to do the coaching to teach people how to do their own publicity because Mm -hmm. it's not hard. It's just time consuming. It's just, yeah. Yeah. You just have to be very persistent. I feel like that's, yep. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then we also had a question about, um, if you have advice for what authors should look for an agent and especially what flags or red flags they should watch out for. Um, Yeah, and actually, let's move to a step before that. Sure. Some people, there's like this new thing going on for the last few years. I'm sure you guys have heard about Mm -hmm. uh, agent managers. Um, It's like somebody created this whole new job. Mm. Uh, And what they're doing is they're saying, you pay us, we will get you an agent. Oh, well, for $3,000 or $5,000, we'll help you write your proposal okay. and query letter and get you an agent that will sign you. Mm-hmm. And it's driving me crazy. Because yeah. That, you know, it's like this, you know, maybe some people do need that. I don't know, but mm-hmm. I think it's kind of a ripoff. Um, yeah. I get contacted by these quote unquote managers all the time. I want to send you this client. You're going to split 50, 50 commission. Oh, oh, okay. oh no. Yeah. 50% <laughs> of your 15%. Yeah. I was like, I barely make anything now. I am not splitting anything with you. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and it, I just think it's a step people don't need. I think it's a sign of people either not doing the work they need to. Um, I mean, there's some great free information out there that you can get on how to find an agent or, and really, as you guys know, getting an agent is actually harder than getting a book deal in these days. Yes. Uh, And most publishers, at least the smart ones are not going to work with authors directly. They want a middle man. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. They want somebody in there. And I always think about it and maybe it's because I was a realtor for a few years. I'm like the realtor of books. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm the middle person. I'm the one that's supposed to know what everybody's supposed to be doing. Right. And uh, and it'll lead me into something else we'll go into next. But um, the, the management thing, I just don't think it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Also writing proposals. Mm-hmm. Um, these management companies are saying, you know, we'll give you a 26, 30 page proposal. And I go, yuck, no. I do mini proposals. When I send something to a publisher, they see my email, they go, oh, I can read this real quick because they know it's going to be like four pages. Mm -hmm. They don't print out a 30-page proposal that's going to sit on a pile someplace until somebody gets time to read it. 
And what information do you want to have in the proposal? I mean, because I know that a lot of people will just send a manuscript and then it's like, well, what what is this? What do I do with this? I got four query letters today that didn't even have a synopsis about what their book was. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) you know, how am I supposed to make a decision if I want to see your manuscript if I don't even know what you've written about? Um, I actually offer for free on my website, if they click on submissions on Dancing Workgroup, it's a mini proposal guide. It's everything you need to put in a proposal and how to put it in there. Mm -hmm. It's very short, very simple. And, you know, for a lot of publishers these days, your proposal is kind of a sampling of how the author is going to write. So they don't want agents or managers writing them anymore. Right. (laughs) <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, you know it's them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You want to have a feel for their voice. So I make all my authors, even if they just are coming to me for the first time wanting me to represent them, they've got to write the proposal. And I will help them, you know, fill in what are the important things like marketing. You know, mm-hmm. um, for everybody listening, most traditional publishers do not care who you are. They don't even care too much what your story is going to be. They want to know what your platform is, what your LinkedIn and social media is, and what you're planning on doing to market your book. Then if they go, wow, this person's on top of it, they've got the connections to to make a lot of sales, then they go back and look at the synopsis of the book to see if they're interested in the book. Am I right? Yes. In a lot of ways, yeah. And I want to know what you think of that in terms of like quality of the books that come out and the authors, whether people are being passed over who are actually good and that kind of thing. Well, I'll tell you with fiction, it does not matter at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's very interesting. I've realized that in the last few years. They're just looking for the next Twilight. (laughs) They're looking for the next Harry Potter. So for fiction, it totally does not matter if you've ever even written a book before. Anything nonfiction, and it's not just numbers. I have, there are companies, a couple of the big 10 companies actually have a program now that they can plug into your, let's say your Facebook page and not only see how many followers you have, but they can see how many times you're interacting with them. So they no longer care that you have 200,000 followers. If you're only posting something once a month, they don't think you have any communication with these followers. It's, it, that was an interesting twist because a lot of people are doing the, the pay to play kind of thing where you pay so much to add likes. Doesn't matter anymore. Uh, I think the traditional publishers, the minimum, the big 10, I'll say the big 10, uh, want to see a minimum of 20,000 followers, mm-hmm. active wow. followers on social media. And I do think it does a disservice. I had uh, somebody come to me last week who speaks all over the world, has, I mean, these groups and organizations all over the world. She just doesn't happen to have anything on social media because she doesn't agree with social media. Ah, okay. I mean, that's fair, (laughs) especially for a spiritual person. It's like... Exactly. And you would think spiritual metaphysical publishers would be a little bit more awaken. (laughs) But they're not. I mean, the bottom line is money and it's going to be, I don't care if you're a five dimensional person, you're functioning in a three dimensional world. (laughs) And publishing is, it's the cost of print, shipping, 
all the marketing, all of the expense to put it together, the editing. And so no matter how enlightened they are, they're still going to be coming from that place. Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to fit into that place. Yeah, I've actually had authors that I have passed on because they're too spiritual. They cannot make that bridge from 5D to 3D. Yeah. And that's a real important thing. Um, when I hear somebody say, when I say, what are you going to do to market your book? And they say, oh, well, it should be able to be word of mouth. Uh. <laughs> I go, you know what? You're going to have to come and get your feet back on this planet for, to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. Corinne, have you ever had to have that come to Jesus talk with someone? <laughs> um, I'm sure I have. I'm Yeah. I mean, and I feel like, you know, obviously that's something that was really different. 10 years ago, even I think like publishers did not the lion's share of the marketing, but like certainly more than we're able to do now. Um, so it's just, yeah, it's just interesting how the conversation has evolved. I think in even the past decade or so. Um, but yeah, I've certainly had to have conversations with authors that, you know, it's like, this is a collaboration and it's not just us doing all the marketing. You need to participate in this too, because nobody knows your audience better than you do. So I think most authors seem to get it. Some of them are pretty resistant, but it's just, you know, I explain it till I'm blue in the face. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So then you move on. (laughs) Do you you find though, if they're working with an agent that sort of vetted them ahead of time, that it's easier for you? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. For sure. But yeah, because I think at least with most agents, well, the good agents, I should say, I think like they manage the author's expectations pretty well, you know, so it's not, they don't have these unrealistic, you know, like, oh, this is going to be the next secret or this is going to be, you know what I mean? It's sort of like, it's a marathon, not a sprint and it's going to start slow, but it'll build. And if you like continue with your efforts and you just give it a lot of attention and love and whatever, it'll grow, but it's just, you know, yeah. I mean, I think it definitely helps having an agent there to sort of start that conversation with them about sort of needing to market, you know, themselves and market the book too. So yeah, definitely. I give you a really good example of this. Uh, I had an author who uh, wrote a nonfiction. It wasn't new age or metaphysical Mm -hmm. uh, book. And the first six years literally only sold 230 copies and it was through a traditional publisher. Okay. And he, he was like, oh, this is just never going to go anywhere. I said, well, you didn't do any of the things that I recommended. <laughs> yeah. you know, right. You know, yeah. I realize life gets in the way, but sure. I said, you know, just try writing some articles and start mm-hmm. posting them. Yeah. And he wrote his first article on LinkedIn and it was like this deep, heavy moving article. It went viral. They sold over 6,000 copies in the next 60 days. Awesome. Damn. Wow. That's incredible. So it doesn't take a lot of money or effort. Yeah, yeah. It just has to be something, you yes, know? And right, right. Try this. If this doesn't work, try that. Mm-hmm, right. And that that's probably one way I know Emily knows this too, mm-hmm. me driving her absolutely crazy, and <laughs> is I, I tend to be a different kind of agent because once contracts are signed, usually agents just sort of disappear. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yes. I stay with the process until the date of release mm-hmm. and usually beyond that. But yep. I want to make sure everybody has somebody to yell at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you can clearly handle it. <laughs> or, or somebody's running behind or, or maybe somebody missed an email that there's a middle person who's making sure everything is staying on track. 
Mm -hmm. The author knows exactly what they're needing to do. And the publisher is, is handling what they're needing to do and letting right. me know so I can keep the author informed of what's going on. The a, your agent commission goes on for the life of the book right? in the publishing yeah. contract. As mm -hmm. far as I'm concerned, that means my job goes on for the life of that publishing contract. I mean, in yeah. a way, it's your book too at that point, if it's mm -hmm. you're attached to it in that way. Absolutely. And yeah. it, it really, you know, the agent, I think a lot of agents are missing the, the mark here because the more excited you can keep your, your author about upcoming sales and things they can do, the more money you're going to make. Because, yeah. they, you, you know, as you know, the average, and I think your listeners should be aware of this, the, at, the normal fee for a literary agent is 15% of everything you get you get the author gets not of the total sales mm -hmm. but the author gets from a publishing deal for the life of that deal and that includes advances if you have one of these management companies and we have to stick within this because of agency law okay but these management companies are coming in saying pay us three thousand dollars we'll do this for you or there's now this new one coming up that's a self-publishing tradition slash traditional pay us $5,000. We'll publish your book. We'll pay you a dollar royalty so you can say it was done traditionally oh, for God. a traditional publisher and <laughs> we'll put it together and design it. You won't get any say in it. They don't tell you that, mm -hmm. you know, so, so you really got to watch for all those little, what is it they say in legal contracts? Watch the small print. The fine print. Yeah. Have <laughs> yeah. you ever had to have you ever had to like rehabilitate an author who has been uh, scammed in that way before? Like who comes to you like, Oh my God, I had this terrible experience. Please help. I get, I get a lot of those. That's an, another one of the coaching I've actually started. Uh, um, even if I'm not representing somebody, somebody can hire me for a coaching session just to review a contract. Oh, right. Cool. Before they sign it. Um, and yeah, I just had somebody with a children's book do that. And she had no idea how badly they were going to rip her off until we went through the contract. And it was like, you don't want to do this. You know, it saved her thousands of dollars for paying me for $150, you know, yeah. session. So, so yeah, like a, so you're saying there's a difference between someone reviewing your proposal or your contract on a one-time basis, maybe editing it, helping you spruce it up a little and a management company who basically takes over everything and charges you thousands of dollars. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so that's not to say no one should look at your proposal before you turn right. it into someone. Right? Yeah, you should. Absolutely. I mean, there's some yeah. really great people out there that are editors uh, that'll write proposals. And if you tell them, I don't want one of those long 26 page proposals, please follow this guide. I want a mini proposal. It will cost you far less. Mm -hmm. Just make sure they write it in your voice because mm -hmm. otherwise, as soon as the publisher sees your manuscript, they're going to realize it's two different writers. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So and they're going to pass on your work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have to see that that the author has a certain amount of initiative and responsibility taking for um, the process, because I think that would be a bad sign to me, like a red flag, if I looked at something and was like, oh, this is clearly like they handed it off to someone else to do the work for them. Right. I'm going to be yeah. like that in the future with everything. Yep, yep. 
They're not going to want to market their book. Yeah. (laughs) We also don't want to take people away from the idea of a ghostwriter because I I have had quite a few authors that are amazing speakers, amazing teachers Mm -hmm. uh, who can't write a word. Yeah. But they are smart enough to hire amazing ghostwriters that write in their voice. And so, you know, know, that it's the same person. I I had a an author who recorded her entire fiction novel in like vignettes. She'd wake up in the morning, it was like like she was dreaming chapters. And she did give it to a ghostwriter who specialized in fiction drama and it came out amazing. You know, so but you have to be, I, I think just don't be naive. You know, really do your homework, really do research. There is a great website that I recommend to everybody called Publishers Marketplace, Mm -hmm. which used to be strictly for professionals, but it isn't anymore. You can be a member on a non-professional level and go and search out agents in specific genres, ghostwriters that have written bestsellers, and it gives you all their contact information. So you can really do your research Mm -hmm. and not just oh, my brother's uncle is a, has written a, a document for work. He'll write my book for free. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta invest the time, the energy, and the money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, I want to backtrack a little bit, actually, and ask you a little bit about um, magazines versus books, because I know that you had, um, can you tell us a little bit more about your experience with your magazine to start with? Oh, Mystic Pop. Um, That was, uh, that was quite the adventure. Again, doing something I had never done. Um, I didn't even know how to turn on a computer when I decided to start this magazine. And I had $25 in my pocket and the first Apple Mac ever made. And all I thought about was there being a new age metaphysical at the time, there was only really one magazine out there, which I won't mention what it is, but it didn't really cover anything. And it was mm-hmm. like all advertising and it wasn't yeah. rounded. I mean, you had to have one perception to get anything out of it. And I said, you know, I want something in this world that gives everybody a taste and a flavor for all paths to spiritual enlightenment. And so I went home and started, I knew how to email. That was the only thing I knew how to do. And I emailed all of these people like Dory Virtue, Wayne Dyer, Neil Don Walsh, all of these people who I love their work and said, I'm starting this magazine. Do you want to play with me? I would love to have an article. And oh my gosh, they all responded. Yes, this sounds wonderful. I gave them the the concept of the magazine. It was called Mystic Pop for the new popular stuff. And Mm -hmm. uh, I was off and rolling. And I had to teach myself how to do desktop publishing because I couldn't afford anybody to lay it out and design it. And then I had to learn what, how to get you your magazine printed. You know, Mm -hmm. the only thing I knew was how to sell ads for it because I (laughs) Well, that's good. (laughs) I need money to print this. Okay. Let me go sell ads. And Mm -hmm. I started off just like a regional magazine. And within the first year, went to a conference where I met Wayne Dyer and Alan Cohen, who both gave me their current work. 
and said, if you do this, you can have this magazine be whatever you envision. And one of them was Wayne Dyer's Power of Intention. And I wanted him to put him on the cover of my magazine. He goes, I'm not going on a newspaper print magazine. What do you envision? I said, I see Vogue quality, high gloss, full color, sold in every bookstore in the country. He goes, you listen to the CD set and then I will be on your cover. And literally three <laughs> months later, I sent him the first high gloss, full color magazine uh, with him on the cover. Nice. <laughs> and it was, it was in Barnes and Noble and Borders and everywhere else. I will tell you magazines, like if you're an author and you want to get articles published, 90% of them do not pay a dime for freelance anymore. Unless you're a staff writer, you know, people trying to get, even in some of the online magazines like Ted, Ted Talk Online and um, some of the business journals and Harvard Business Review and things like that, you used to be able, even Reader's Digest, you used to be able to send in articles and they would pay to publish your work. Not so much anymore. They're, when everybody lost their jobs, when the bottom fell out, everybody decided they could write. And so they were inundated. <laughs> and so it's really, really hard to get things published for pay. That said, it's very easy to get things that are good published for free, which is a tool I highly recommend to authors to promote their books, right. write articles. They'll all give you a byline at the bottom if you're sending it out for free. Mm -hmm. The catch is they all want exclusive articles that you can't right. send the same article to every magazine out there. Mm -hmm. They won't print it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone wants to feel like it's tailored just for them and as well they should. Yeah. yeah. And, and don't leave out online magazines. I think a lot of people still have this mindset that they're not real magazines. Mm. That's insane. Um, I mean, like Thrive Global, which is Ariana Huffington's new thing when she sold Huffington Post, is huge. Yeah, it and, is. Yeah, just sign up to be a contributor and, you know, they publish really good stuff and they always link it back to your website. Mm -hmm. I actually have an author right now who you know, um, who has had a column in a magazine in Seattle for several years and has now uh, done a book of all these col columns, which I have not sold the book yet, but I know I will. <laughs> it's going to be huge when I do. Um but she wouldn't have ever had a book if she hadn't have done this column. Mm -hmm. So I, yes, recommend to people, you know, find a medium that works for you, whether it's an online magazine, a local newspaper, you know, or a regular print magazine and start writing for it. And it's amazing what can come out of that. Uh, one of the doctors that I worked with early on, didn't realize how much problems people had with sleep. It, yeah. And he started submitting these articles uh, to magazines, to medical journals and things. And then suddenly started getting all these emails about, but how, did, how can I sleep? How can I do this for sleep? What can I do about this for sleep? And we ended up publishing a great book on sleep. So you never know what, what's going to lead to it. Always just remain open to whatever. If your skills are writing short 
things, don't write a book. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> write a collection. <laughs> exactly. And some of those do very, very well. I mean, like a chicken soup for the soul books. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. I, I, the, that's something that, and we may have to talk about this on some future one, but I think that's something that I would really like your listeners to understand is you don't always need to have a book. It's pretty controversial, but I definitely agree with it in a lot of ways. Cause there's that idea of like, you have to, uh, you have to be important in some way, like, and the only way you can be important is to prove it to everyone through like having a book or some great work of your life. And yeah. The other thing I hear all the time is I just want to help everybody in the world. And I had this experience and therefore I can put that experience out there and help everybody in the world. And although that may be a wonderful mindset to come from, there may be 8,000 of the books where people had similar experience already on Amazon. Yes. And nobody even looks. Mm -hmm. What I tell people, especially in memoir kind of books like that, is I had one woman who worked eight years on this book and it really was not good. And, you know, I want, although I shoot from the hip, I do it with love. So, you know, I, I like people to sit with it and, and make a decision. Am I, was this for my own catharsis? Was this for my own therapy? Did I need to really get this out on paper for myself? Maybe it doesn't need to go out into the world. Maybe it does. You know, Eat, Pray, Love did really well for a lot of women, but there wasn't anything really out on the market like it. Mm -hmm. So when you get done writing it, or if you're halfway through it and you're not sure what you're doing with it, make those, look at that. Is this for me? Does anybody in the world really need it? And is there anything out there already? Yeah, yeah. A lot of times, I think the other thing, Michael's talking, he's like, the other thing people really need to remember is that only 1% of all authors in the planet make more than $10,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. That your, too. <laughs> your first book can cost you up to $20,000, $30,000 if you do it right, if you promote it properly and do everything you need to do you may not make that money. So, and if you're one of these that, well, I'm going to self-publish it and throw it out there on Amazon and see what happens. Why? All you're doing is diluting it for the rest of the world. If you're not going to do the effort behind it, you know? So I think ethically as a writer, look at all the different aspects of it. Why am I doing That's the first question, by the way, I ask people when they call me about having a book. I say, why do you want a book? A lot of times it's a business person who's smart enough to understand that the book is their business card. Mm-hmm, right. Going to make money from the book. They're going to make money from the speaking engagements that right. they get from people who, who've read the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if they say, well, I want to help the world, I'll say, well, do you want to make any money? Well, that's not important to me. Well, then I'm not going to represent it because it's important to me, not not just because I have a right to pay my bills, the work I do, but because it is an exchange of energy. Mm -hmm. And you have to, I mean, money is one way of getting 
the, the pat on the back for having good work. Mm -hmm. You don't care. Then you're not going to do any marketing. You're not going to do anything. Mm -hmm. And honestly, if you want to help the world, like you can start, you can start a blog for free and make some friends on Facebook and send them to your blog and you can all have, you know, commiseration and have a nice network of friends to feel good with. And you don't have to go through any of the, uh, oh my gosh, I don't mean like ego as in a bad ego, but all of the bruising and the like need for validation from other people and all the emotional trauma that comes from going through this process that, I mean, for a lot of people, maybe that's jaded. No, no, you're absolutely right. Because I, I get contacted by people that are in such an incredible state of depression Mm -hmm. because they worked for years to write this book that gave up on not being able to get an agent and self-published it and sold 15 copies Yeah, and they're crushed Mm -hmm. and they, they wish they would never have done it to begin with. So come to me beforehand (laughs) and don't put yourself through that. It may be a book. It may not be a book. Mm -hmm. It may be a great book that I know a publisher is not going to buy because they don't have the foresight, which a lot of publishers are really lacking this foresight Mm -hmm. on things, you know, and I may recommend you self-publish, but I'm going to tell you how to self-publish and why. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't demean you as an author at all, especially when you're suddenly a New York Times bestseller and you've got publishers coming at you to buy your work, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think it's just really having this knowledge, but Probably, this is, sounds so bad. I get probably 10 manuscripts or queries a week. Yeah. Sometimes more. I probably only read one out of every hundred that uh, of manuscripts from those queries that I get. Mm-hmm. Because they're just not good. I mean, like the one that sent me the one today who didn't even put the synopsis in her mm-hmm. In our query letter, well, you know, if you're if you're going to go after an agent, be as professional as if you were going to go after a publisher. Right, right. Oh, this is one that I love. This is one that I love. Do not send your manuscripts to agents before you edit them. Mm. You know, <laughs> it's such it's such a slap to me as an agent being a professional to receive a manuscript where I can't get through the first four pages without redlining and circling every spelling error. Oh, spelling error even. It's it's like have (laughs) enough respect for yourself Mm -hmm. before you send this work out. If you've taken the time to write it, take the time to edit it. Right. So what's another thing that you see a lot of um, that's kind of a a no-no for turning in queries and proposals? Um, getting them without somebody's name on them. Oh, I get manuscripts where, and I tear, tear off the packaging and stack like any publisher would, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. To keep track of them. And I'll, I'll, I'll be reading one. I'll be like, this is really good. And I'll go back to look at the intro page and the proposal to see who it is to contact them. There's no name on anything. Oh God. I saw that from an agent before they didn't have the author's name in the in the uh, cover letter oh that's crazy I I had to dig through their um the pdf to find the name of the author and I was just like like a nice person (laughs) yeah I was like you need to go back to school (laughs) 
when you get those, they go in the shredder, right? Mm -hmm. So six months later, I'm getting an email from Kathy, whatever, saying, did you ever read my manuscript? And I'm looking at the pile and looking at the ones that I've accepted and looking at the ones I passed on and said, well, if I did it and you didn't have your name on it, it went in the shredder. (laughs) (laughs) Let's start over. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or Or they won't put their phone number and email address on it. And instead of like on my website, I say, please call or email me prior to sending. I don't want people wasting their money on things that I'm not going to be interested in. Right. Mm -hmm. And they won't do that. They'll ignore that completely. And they'll send me a manuscript Mm -hmm. and it'll have their name, no email, no phone number. Like, oh, great book. Have no way to reach you. Oh, well, shredder. (laughs) So you you mostly have people send you uh, manuscripts in print or. I require it. And uh, most don't. I will tell you, there's two reasons why I require it. One, I can't afford the really cool machine that you can drop a Word document in and it'll read it to you in a real voice. Oh. Some of the big publishers, I saw those when I was in New York and I was like, oh my gosh, I want one of those. Um, But I can't afford that. And I'm dyslexic. So I have a really hard time reading on a computer. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Having been an editor in a magazine, I also want to feel, touch, take my red pen out, mm-hmm. make notes, put fold pages. So instead of, this is another thing, I guess, that bothers me about agents. And I understand a lot of them don't have a lot of time or they have people reading for them. Uh, but I want to give feedback. Even if I'm going to pass on a manuscript, I want to be able to contact them and say, you know what, you have the basic function of a really good book here, but it's too long or you're too wordy or you got to quit using so many swear words or, mm-hmm. and it's all based on how I've redlined their manuscript. So if I don't have it in physical form, you know, I can't, I can't do that. Right. So yeah. you would, you would suggest that people actually uh, read the requirements of each agent before they <laughs> imagine <laughs> that. <laughs> that would always be a good start. I mean, mm-hmm. my my outline, I don't know if you guys have been on my website, but my outline for my mini proposal guide is pretty do this, do that, then add this, then add that. Mm-hmm. And I got one yesterday that they said, I followed your guide, here it is. And it wasn't even separated in sections. I'm trying to find the author's bio and the marketing information and the comparative titles. Please only use three. If you use 15 titles that are already out there in a print, the publishers and the agents are going to go, this is a saturated market. We're not interested. Right. So pick three top sellers, Mm -hmm. you know, why you're alike, why you're different. Mm -hmm. And that's it. You know, don't go into overkill. Well, we'll definitely link to that, um, the, uh, the submission guidelines that you uh, mentioned for sure. That'll hopefully help some cool. people out. <laughs> you had asked me a question earlier that I want to make sure I touch on um, about how to look for an agent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Red flags and stuff. Yep. Do you mind if we circle back to that for a minute? No, not Absolutely. at all. Yeah. I think this is the, <clears throat> the most important thing. Like in any business, there are really good ethical people out there and there are really slimy people out there and there are people out there that are neither and actually they're the more dangerous ones they're the ones that are just plain numbers love your book 
want to handle your book and you may not have even contacted them. Uh, and there's a lot of that for some reason going on right now. Uh, and it's a few companies that we will publish your book for you. You know, they find somebody who's self-published on Amazon and they'll write them and say, I loved your book. We want to publish your book in a traditional publisher. And they get them all excited and hit their emotional base. And then, and they don't care. They're not trying to be slimy. They're not trying to be nice. They're just trying to run numbers. Mm-hmm. And they'll convince somebody for $2,800, we'll, you know, we'll take the work that you have. We won't change your cover or anything. And, but we'll give you all the tra- benefits of traditional publishing with distribution and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. They don't have anything that you that you don't have in self-publishing already. They're just making money to have somebody type up exactly what you have and scan the cover of your book and put it out there with their name on it. Right. Well, don't fall for it. It's hard when you're a first-time author, you're so emotionally connected to your baby mm-hmm. that when somebody says, I read your book and I loved it, we would love to publish it. It's going to trigger you mm-hmm. and you're going to go, that's really cool. My advice, don't do it, period. You know, if it's that good and you're self-published, keep it self-published. Pay for some Amazon ads. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If it's that good and you're selling 10,000 copies of it, um, a traditional really good publisher is going to pay you to mm-hmm. buy it and publish yeah. Right. Yeah, you shouldn't have to pay to publish. No. God. <laughs> and anytime it's an agent, agent slash management company, if they want you to pay something in advance to get you published, no. Mm-hmm. Agents get a percentage of what they get you in a contract. And that's 15%, right? It averages 15%. I'm a little flexible. Like sometimes people will come to me and they just, they've already gotten an offer and they, and it's from a good company. They just really want somebody to oversee it and look over the contract and everything and make sure they're doing well. And so since I don't have to go find them a publisher, I'll work with the percentage, but I don't work for free. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. You know, Uh, if you're talking to an agent and you get a sense and, oh, that's the other thing. If you contact an agent and they won't get on the phone with you, I don't care how many emails they send you, do not go with them Mm -hmm. because they're never, ever going to get on the phone with you. Yeah. And there are a lot of them like that. They're big agencies. They've got 50 agents working for them Mm -hmm. and you'll get emails, you know, yeah, we're representing your book. You'll never hear you know, until you get an offer, you don't hear anything Yeah, hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they're running numbers. They, the more people they can sign, the more probability of things that they'll sell. Right. right. Not a negative, but if you like to have a personal involvement with somebody, you don't want an agent like that. Yeah, no. sure. Not at all. Mm-hmm. It, um, vet your agent. <laughs> Um, if you, if somebody says they're an agent and I don't care what names they drop or anything, if they don't have proof Mm -hmm. that they've represented, don't go with them. Back to your psychic side of this, 
if you're talking to somebody and you don't feel an absolute state of resonance with, oh, wow, I like this person. I feel good with this person. Again, don't go with them. Yeah. No. And I, I love the agents that say, oh, you need to sign with me. I can get you a huge advance. They're lying. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know what kind of advance. No, how could they? <laughs> But it's a, it's an emotional business. You know, when you're dealing with somebody who's put everything they got on through their hands on paper, it's really easy to manipulate somebody emotionally. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I just, I worry for them. Sometimes I'll just read something and you can tell that every they're wearing their hearts on their sleeves and I'm just like, Oh no, protect uh, this person. <laughs> some of these contracts that people have brought to me to try and get them out of contracts that they have been under. Jeez. I just shake my head. Like, did you not read this? I mean, did you not, if you don't have an agent, take it to a lawyer. You know, some of these things, a uh, good example, this woman had had three books with a company, um, never had seen a single dime, was always told she was in the negative, yet she had sold over 100,000 copies of her books. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> okay. So they, that's what I said. I went, well, okay, how's this work? Send me your contract. They were charging her for the actual printing of the book, the shipping of the book, the warehousing of the books. Was that in the contract? It was in the contract that she would receive net after expenses with no description of what net would be. Uh, and how is she supposed to know? You know, like if you're not in publishing, you don't know what goes into all that stuff. First time author. She was very excited. Somebody loved her work and they did a beautiful job on it. Yeah. yeah. You can do a beautiful job on something. You know, you're the only person who's going to make any money from it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, eventually they're going to get slowly pushed out of the process. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. I, I think that for all of the, just to kind of sum it up for all the sliminess that you, even you ascribe to agents before you got started, like, I think that they serve a very important purpose to, uh, to protect and guide authors. And um, I usually suggest to people that if they're going to go anywhere near traditional publishing that they should have one um, instead of just you know casting their fate to the wind absolutely it's it it's I wouldn't buy a house without a realtor I want somebody yeah. who supposedly knows what it is that we're looking at and there I mean even when I first started I I made a few boo-boos on contracts until I learned what was real and what wasn't uh, what needed to be in there, what wasn't. I mean, a right. lot of publishers already know all the things I'm going to take out of their contracts. So when they send them to me to begin with, they don't include them. Right, right. <laughs> they know better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, first writer refusals is a biggie that nobody pays attention to. And they could be locked into a publisher for life for anything else they ever write just because of that clause. Yeah. You know, so if you don't, if you don't want to have an agent, you know, at least get somebody who knows what they're, what you're, before you sign something. Yeah. Or even if you're thinking of talking to someone, at least find your, your friend who talks to Michael, <laughs> who will tell you that's, that's a load of nonsense yeah. right there. <laughs> Michael is not a lawyer and he does not do contracts. <laughs> yeah. But he, I'm sure he can smell a, smell a phony. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, oh, oh, I got a text from Corinne and it looks like their internet just failed and that's why she disappeared from our call. <laughs> oh, I wonder where she went. I was like, oh no. Yeah, that sucks. Um, but I, I know that she had a wonderful time talking with you as much as I did. This was wonderful. Yeah. And we'll make sure, is there anything else that you want to promote other than, uh, other than just your website and the uh, submissions uh, advice that you have? Just a dancing work group. Just, you know, the fact that I do offer one-on-one coaching, because I I don't know too many agents out there that do that. No, I don't either. So um, yeah, I'll send people your way. Thank you for making yourself available in that way. Awesome. Well, anytime, dear, you just let me know. Well, you have a wonderful rest of your day and thank you for your time. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right. Well, that was very educational. What do you think, Corinne? I had a great time and I learned a lot. Yeah. Well, who is your guardian angel? Oh, my publishing guardian angel? Sure. Oh boy. Uh, I would probably say, um, probably one of my former bosses, but I'm not sure which one. Um, but yeah, I had some bosses who were really like very like nurturing and like guided me in the right direction and were very helpful. So I guess I would say probably one of them. Oh, well, you know, if you have your, your angels in daily life, if you, if you're not lucky enough to speak to an archangel from an early age, yes. Right. <laughs> we we can all find those protectors out there. Yes, it's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I think it was important um that sh- that we talked about how not everyone needs to uh have a book. Yes, I thought so too. Yeah. And I think it really goes with the idea of like your life has more value than like what other people think of you. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Like you don't need to be validated by traditional publishing or like even readers, honestly, like that's your worth as a person is more important than that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We would love to talk to more agents, maybe some fiction agents Mm -hmm. um, in the future. So you can get in touch with us either Emily at hybrid pub scout dot com or Corinne at hybridpubscout.com. Tell her how funny she is. <laughs> I eat that shit up. Please tell me honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of not needing validation, we <laughs> do please validate me. <laughs> you can uh, follow us on Twitter at hybrid pub scout, um, Facebook hybrid pub scout. And then Instagram, which is pretty fun, at Hybrid Pub Scout Pod. And yeah, we would love to hear from you. We would love if you would go onto iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Yep. And, be great. and, you know, a celebrity impression for us to attempt. Because mm-hmm. otherwise we'll just pick. Yeah. And you know how that goes. It'll be a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just sit there going, ah. <laughs> we can't think of any celebrity. Um, we told you all to do this, but now we're totally <laughs> drawing a blank. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, um, we'll see you next time. And thanks for giving a rip about books. 